brands need to think about two things. One, relevance to their desired communities and two, a broader reach in order to grow their business. And right now we're doing a lot of early adopter thinking, but that thinking will need to change with Web3 as it evolves. The same way, you know, Facebook originally only had photos, then it had videos. It used to be all about groups and then it was all about... um, you know, Instagram posts, and now it's all about paid media. So you need to understand the evolution of a market cycle. And the reason that we work with our partners primarily based on sort of a long-term basis is because we want them to think about this as a long-term investment and a long-term strategy, not as a campaign. Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains and the go-to place for everybody to learn about the latest innovations in Web3, NFTs, and the decentralized web. Join us each week to hear from experts, entrepreneurs, and the early stage investors that are building the future on the blockchain. Not only will this podcast help you understand why these emerging technologies are so important, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in the metaverse. GMGM, GM, welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast. My name is Josh Gordon. I'm your host. And today I'm joined by Avery Akinini, president at Vayner NFT. Avery, I'm stoked to have you on and talk to you today. How are you doing? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. A uh, big fan of yours, Josh. Thank you so much. It's basically impossible to be involved in the NFT space and not be familiar with the Vayner name, the Vayner brand. Gary's done such a good job at onboarding so many people into this space. And I think what you're doing is working with brands and IP owners, right? And that perspective is going to be super valuable for all of our listeners today because I want to really dive into how brands and people who are looking to get into the NFT space through IP and content creation can start thinking about this. So that's where my head's at. And it seems like that's been your focus for what has been six months to a year now that you've been working with Vayner NFT. Yeah, we started Vayner NFT almost exactly a year ago, and it was July 14th, 2021. Wow. So almost a full year ago today. So we're recording today on July 13th. So we almost hit the exact one year mark on that in NFT space. That's a long time in the NFT world. It's been a really fun year. We've had a lot of learnings. We've done a ton of different programs and a ton of different strategies and a ton of different education. And we're really excited for where year two and beyond is going to take us as Vayner NFT. Heck yeah. Well, let's start off with, can you give me a brief background into how you got into crypto and what led you to wanting to really work and lead Vayner NFT? Yeah. So funny story. Many years ago, I was on a Christmas trip, or I guess it was a New Year's trip with my husband and some of his friends. My husband is a professional investor. He was working at a hedge fund at the time. And a lot of his friends do different kinds of you know financial services type of things. And one of his friends who actually works in exotic bonds, um, and he's always pitching me on crazy things to invest in, was like, Avery, you really need to get into cryptocurrency. You really need to get into Bitcoin and Litecoin and Ethereum. And he's like, but I really believe Ethereum is going to be the one that hits. And I started to look into it when he first mentioned that, put in a little bit of money, not a ton, but this was again, like many years ago. Then I watched it go like almost to zero. And I was like, wow, 
I wonder where this is going to head, but he remained sort of with this conviction. And that's how I was first introduced to crypto. I wasn't actively trading it at all, but was sort of invested in it very loosely and from a passive standpoint. So that that had happened like many years before. And then when Gary first started getting really interested in NFTs in early 2021, that's when I actually got back into it and started re-looking at, obviously the price had like exploded and, um, had really taken off in the several years where I had been sort of passively holding uh, and not paying yeah. much attention. But then I started to get way more interested in crypto and even more interested in the NFT market that was kind of being built as a parallel path to the Ethereum market. Cool. I think that's a similar story to a lot of us. We hold some tokens. Sometimes when they go down, your interest and your engagement dips as well. And then you end up just holding and seeing what happens. And then all of a sudden the price goes back up and we all start getting reinvigorated. I feel like as that price started going up a year ago and people started getting into NFTs, that really captured attention. So you mentioned Gary there. I feel like I just got to knock it off at the start of the podcast. It's, it's so hard to talk about NFTs and not also loop in Gary. What are some pieces of advice or insight that you've absorbed with him over the last year that you think might be helpful for people getting into NFTs or maybe even for those who still hold them now? Yeah, so... Thank you for the kind words regarding Gary's leadership in the NFT space. I think Gary has done an incredible job of educating his community on the NFT marketplace in general. He's done an incredible job of supporting other creators. For some of your listeners who may have heard of VCon 2022, I think one of the most special things about VCon, yes, it was certainly celebrating everything that was happening in the world of VFriends and that, that brand, but also celebrating other creators in the space, whether it was Bobby Hundreds on stage or... Betty from Deadfellas and Sarah from Women and Weapons in the NFT land, supporting those programs as well. I think Gary has uniquely been an ambassador and an advocate for the world of NFTs. And what I would tell people about Gary's interest and involvement in the NFT space is it's so multifaceted. Gary is an investor. He is a creator. He is a thought leader. He is a spokesperson and he's a business builder in, in the world of NFTs. And it's incredible to have someone so multidimensional to learn from as my boss, uh, because Gary always has a new and interesting take on the way technology and particularly blockchain technology is going to change consumer behavior. So what I would encourage people to do is to look at Gary across a couple of those angles and you really start to see just the tremendous amount of strategy and understanding he has of both consumers and the NFT ecosystem as it stands today. Yeah, makes sense. There's so many different lenses. You really can look at his content. And I feel like he always says like, watch what I'm doing because that's what I'm going to tell you to do yourself too, right? So you put on that lens and you can say, okay, I'm a creator. Let's look at how he's creating. Or maybe you want to be a content creator. You can see how he's talking and writing about it, speaking about it. Just a random fun fact. I did a lot of music video production a couple of years ago with one of my good friends. He made a song called I Feel Like Gary V." And we made a music video to it. I think back in the day, we would like DM Gary, you know, daily, like, hey, Gary, Love we it. made this. Uh, maybe we have to mint it as an NFT and that will catch his attention now. Put it on auction, see if he bids on it. Epic. That It's funny, people who remember Gary from different like Web2 things, whether they remember him from some of his motivational talks, which actually how I first got to know Gary, he gave a motivational talk in my previous employer, Google, or they know him from, like you said, music video production or something like that. A lot of people have different Gary V stories pre-NFTs. Yeah. Okay, well, let's transition and talk about brands and IP creators. That's really what I want to focus on today. And so 
why is digital ownership important for brands to have a strategy around it? And I'm kind of saying digital ownership instead of NFTs here, you know, on purpose, like how are brands thinking about giving their consumers and their most passionate fans digital property that they can own and really hold on to? Do you have any thoughts around that? Yeah, I think digital ownership matters when you think in the context of how much time we spend in digital mediums today. We spend time in things like this. We're in Riverside right now. I'm on Google Hangouts. I'm on Zoom. I'm in Roblox. I'm playing Fortnite. I'm, you know, on my email. It's just constant the amount of time people are spending, whether they're on their phone device or they're on their laptop. People spend a tremendous amount of time in front of screens. But you don't actually own anything when you're spending time digitally. You're spending your time in TikTok and Google Hangouts or wherever you are. You can't bring anything with you. You can't have a persona that transcends those individual platforms. And the same way, you know, I can wear these earrings here where I am at the office and home and to dinner and everywhere else. And that represents who I am as a person Physically, humans are going to require those same sort of personally identifiable attributes digitally as well as consumer behavior continues to shift online. So I think the ability to bring things with you digitally across different ecosystems and platforms is a really, really big deal. And gamers tend to get this because they might understand the concept of skins or the concept of purchasing something for their avatar in-game. And the ability to bring that item that you're buying with you across a myriad of pieces of the ecosystem, I think is a tremendous opportunity. It's fundamentally driven by consumer behavior and digital asset ownership is going to really matter. And the second part of that is for consumers who say like, oh, I don't need to own anything digitally. The idea of collectibles is what's resonated to date because people collect things in real life, whether those are stamps or silver spoons or handbags or whatever it is, baseball cards. That idea of collecting almost irrationally with fandom resonates with people. And I think those that's what we've seen from the sort of early days of the NFT ecosystem is people who are deep into the world of collecting are moving into this idea of digital collecting. Yeah. And not everyone collects. Not everyone has collectibles, the stamps and the other things you mentioned. And so how we break through to that crowd is something I think is going to be interesting to see. Maybe for some of them, it's just getting the first item in your wallet, you know, actually experiencing digital ownership for the first time, because then maybe something clicks. I agree. I also think that the next wave of adoption will need to be driven by things beyond collectibles. So that's what's resonated to date, like art, gaming, sports, collectibles. That's what's resonated to date. You know, that's been interesting for a few million people. But what's going to need to be interesting more broadly is an application that normal consumers want. The same way people wait outside the Apple store for days before a phone launch or wait in line to meet their favorite celebrity. We need something that really has that draw to bring people in to really care about what's happening in this ecosystem through fandom of either existing IPs or celebrities or brands or something that just feels really cool and is a breakthrough. Like I need to change my behavior to get this item. We need more of those moments in the world of NFTs to drive in the next wave of users. Yeah. A good portion of that's going to come from NFTs are being given to users and consumers for free. And I think an easy one is the ticketing experience or you go to an event and you get some kind of collectible to commemorate that. And then, you know, also at Unstoppable Domains, we definitely think an NFT domain can be that first NFT for a lot of people to get it at either a free or very low price point. But totally agree with you there. So going off that, can you describe a little bit of like the brand playbook pre-Web3 and then now with Web3 and NFTs and What is their playbook today if they want to start engaging this new audience around collectibles or NFTs? 
So I think the brand playbook in general is create a con- an emotional connection with consumers that makes them value your product irrationally. If you look at consumer packaged goods companies, apparel companies, car companies, the products are fundamentally all very, very similar. It's the branding and the emotional connection that those companies have created that makes me say like, oh, I want to drive a Mercedes versus a BMW because I'm that kind of a person, or I drink Pepsi instead of Coke because that's who I am, when the products are actually super similar. So the idea of brand building fundamentally really, really works. It's why brands do much better than sort of private label companies who just sell the generic product. So I think that has been the playbook since the dawn of time, right? Like since way before web two, when there was radio, when there was print ads, all of that has been the playbook. And brands have adopted new forms of technology as they come around. They used to, you know, maybe do a print ad, then they did a radio ad, then they did a TV ad, then they did a Facebook post, then they did a TikTok. Now maybe they're looking into an NFT as a way to, to engage consumers. The playbook has shifted in every iteration of consumer behavior though, because Certain brands have been able to remain relevant through centuries. I like to give the example of Stella Artois, which is a partner of ours at Vayner, because people always ask me, like, how do, you know, Web 2 brands need to pivot into Web 3? And I laugh because Stella Artois was invented in the 1300s, and they have been finding ways to connect with consumers for centuries. And Stella Artois was, interestingly enough, one of the first adopters of sort of NFTs. They did a program with Zed Run well over a year ago, which was led by a woman named Lindsay McInerney, who's incredible. And I think that what they were able to do was to find a new way to connect with their consumers and do something that drives buzz and attention and brings them into a place of cultural relevance. That cultural relevance aspect continues to matter. Now there's just a new dimension. And in this new dimension, new paradigm, I think the decentralized consumers don't want to give away their consumer data the same way they felt that data was siphoned from the large Web2 platforms. They might want to have the ability to have the asset, to trade it, to sell it, to hold it. And they, in certain cases, also want to be able to participate more from the brands that they love and the brands that they want to interact with, which is a new way for brands to think about their super engaged communities. But I think it's a good challenge. In the past you know, couple of months alone, we've seen some large fashion brands like Lacoste even start to create programs where their community of holders is able to vote on certain products that they can make and, and other things like that that start to give certain elements of power into their communities. Yeah. You said a couple things there that I really want to double click and highlight here now. The first one being you said brands want to create an emotional connection that makes you value the product irrationally. I think that's a super interesting way of saying it. And you really do see that in the NFT world every every single day. I mean, everything's irrational, essentially, about the NFT world. And I almost wonder how much of that irrational loyalty comes from the price over the last 18 months generally going up versus now we're in a down market. And do you think that that brand loyalty can still be there, even if the price isn't necessarily um, you buy an NFT and you can sell it for more later? Yeah, I think this era of hyper-commercialization in the NFT world that we've seen over the last 18 months is not going to be the future of NFTs. That's not the way that you know you engage with buying a beer or buying a pair of shoes. You don't buy a pair of shoes for $50 thinking you can sell it for 100 You buy them because you want to put shoes on your feet. <laughs> I think that that utility aspect is going to become way more commonplace in NFT programs and projects. And that financial speculation aspect 
while it will certainly continue in certain cycles, I don't think that will be as much of the norm as it is now. And I think that that type of speculative behavior has created a small community of sort of the degen crowd who have helped grow the NFT community to what it is to date. But I don't think that's going to be the future because that's not how normal consumers perceive purchasing products. Yeah, totally makes sense. And I definitely hold some similar beliefs to that too. So it's from that investment standpoint, it's more about finding the ones that are going to last the test of time. And I think some of those are more of the generative art pieces myself, but good points. And I also want to just circle back and you mentioned data ownership and control. I think that's so important too. And we're still figuring out ways on how people interact with decentralized applications. And do you log in with your wallet? Do you log in with a NFT domain? How that data transfer goes? And, you know, is I think a big leg up with Web3 is how you can now choose and control who is accessing your data versus just that being blindly taken from you when you're using an application. Well, cool. We just did a little bit of a brand deep dive there. Let's talk about content creators for a second now. Can you characterize the shift you're seeing in the content creators you're working with? And I believe that's one of the verticals of people Vayner NFT works with, right? Yeah, well, we work with them more as partners. So for Vayner NFT, we have our sort of client partners, and those would be brands or intellectual property owners who come to us for our sort of strategic services. And then the other side of that is we also have this incredible network of collaborative partners, including folks like Unstoppable Domains and artists and NFT marketplaces and blockchain builders and metaverse developers who we work with as more of sort of collaboration partners. So yes, we do a ton of work with a lot of amazing artists and creators in the space and programs. We've been doing a ton of stuff with fun collaborations and we're excited to continue to develop that. We're actually hosting a Web3 demo day tomorrow where we're bringing in a bunch of our artists and marketplace partners to show our clients all the things that are possible in the world of Web3. Mm. So when we're talking about Web3, there's so much focus goes on, I think, two parts, the creator and the community. And do you think we need to put more attention on one over the other? Or is it right now, when you talk about Web3, is it equal? I'm trying to figure out if right now the focus should be more on how do we set up the opportunities for creators to create, or if we need to instead focus more on how we actually create communities that are sustainable, or maybe in your mind, they're one and the same. I think that they're both really important. It depends on some, we've seen in the past year, a lot of creators who sort of are Web3 first creators and they have built their followings entirely in Web3. We also see more creators who have come from, you know, many years of building companies or building their personal brands. You know, I mentioned Bobby Hundreds earlier or Gary Vee, people who've been building their communities for 20 plus years. I think those are some of the creators that we will see be able to weather this current storm in a really strategic manner because they're used to the ups and downs versus someone who might be more of an emerging creator who's seen a lot of success in the last 18 months. But prior to that, maybe they haven't had this type of community around them. I think the creators are incredibly important and they're also incredibly important for bringing more people into the space. But at the end of the day, the health of a particular NFT brand is going to be highly dependent on that community feeling bought in and feeling like they want to help be advocates for the brand. I think that's one of the biggest unlocks with Web3. And we've seen this through programs that use Creative Commons license. I'd give a shout out to the Nouns DAO as an incredible example of an NFT first brand that has enabled their IP to be shared around the world and done a lot of very cool things with it. 
I think the community needs to feel bought into this irrational, like let's use that same sort of thread of irrationally, that era of fandom where the community wants to almost help promote the program and promote the brand. They have aligned incentives for the first time ever. Because if the price appreciates, then the holder benefits and the program benefits. So there's that sort of shared ambition and shared alignment, which we've never had before. Like if you were following someone that you really liked on Instagram, if they grew bigger, you didn't get anything as a result of that, even if you shared their posts every day. With this now, you buy an NFT from someone you admire and you know then they become the next big artist. You mentioned you like generative art. If you're posting about their stuff every day, maybe you're being a small help to them and getting their brand built out more broadly. And you stand to sort of benefit from that. But that hasn't existed before in Web 2 or or anywhere beyond Web 2, anywhere before Web 2 either. So it's a huge opportunity for the communities to actually build the success of the creators. And I think both are incredibly important with the 51% being community really has to be strong and the 49% being and of course the creator needs to bring people in and continue engaging their community. Yeah. You brought up the nouns. I saw a tweet just the other day that made me chuckle. It was like most NFTs you buy, they go to zero. You buy a noun, you have to go to work. Cause a big part of the nouns is the people buying into the system and then all helping contribute to growing the brand and the IP, right? And so you mentioned incentives. And I do think it's fascinating that we finally have this incentive alignment between the consumers and the creators in a new way. Are NFT projects, do they need the people in their community to actually go to work and participate in the facilitation of of the IP? Do they need that for success? Or is that something that still maybe only a percentage of community members will contribute to? Like not everybody in the community might proliferate the thesis of the work, only some people will. Or do you see it as maybe they all need to? No, I don't think it's realistic for everybody in the community to help promote it. There's this theory called the 1,000 true fans. And I think you need 1,000 true fans, whether you are a social media influencer or an apparel brand or an NFT program, to get people who are bought in to help you with sharing the mission, sharing the merch, sharing the you know lore, and having that group of fans who's really committed is critical. It doesn't have to be everyone, though, and it won't be everyone. If you look at you know the number of people who watch... Batman versus the number of people who are really, really into it. The number of people who are really, really into it is a tiny fraction of the overall fandom. But those really deep fans drive a tremendous amount of the sort of fan lore and sort of fan proliferation. Yeah, cool. Well, let's keep diving into brands. I do want to ask, do you have a piece of digital property or like a digital asset by a brand that really excites you right now? So many. So of course I have to say something about V friends. You know, I have a couple of V friends and I really love every single thing about that program, about the future that they're building. From a brand perspective, I like a couple of different programs. Of course, I have to give our partners at Budweiser and Pepsi and Tinder some shout outs. Johnny Walker, some ones that I really love and have sort of personal affiliation for. Robert Mondavi, US Open. I think beyond that from a brand perspective, Nike's acquisition of Artifact, I think, was brilliant. A lot of brands are looking to build their own. Nike just bought into a badass community and group of people who really, really know what they're doing. So I'd give Nike a big shout out for their acquisition of Artifact, which I think was genius. Yeah, I do think the Nike one stands out amongst the rest for sure. 
some of the others you mentioned, I feel like I've seen sometimes people buy a domain and then they like flash that on Twitter and they're like, something's coming. Sometimes they go and Nike went as big as they can possibly go, I think. But I'm stoked to see that play out more. And I have a lot of friends who have Artifact and CloneX and whatnot. So I think they're dropping merch soon too, which everyone loves. So I either heard you or maybe it was even Gary talk about this long-term perspective that you have to take as a brand or creator in this space, an IP owner. And can you talk through the difference a little bit about the difference between 30-day and like 30-year thinking and why IP owners really need to take the long-term perspective when it comes to Web3 than maybe ever before? Yeah, absolutely. We are deep believers that this is a very long game. And, you know, the excitement of the past 18 months is exciting, but it's only a tiny, um, when we, I think about the market adoption curve a lot, right? If you think about any format of technology that's been adopted, you start with the innovators, then move to the early adopters. Then you have the early majority, the late majority and the laggards. We're still really at that innovator point of it. It has not yet hit mainstream consciousness. And brands need to think about two things. One, relevance to their desired communities and two, a broader reach in order to grow their business. And right now we're doing a lot of early adopter thinking, but that thinking will need to change with Web3 as it evolves. The same way, you know, Facebook originally only had photos, then it had videos. It used to be all about groups and then it was all about um <laughs> you know, Instagram posts. Now it's all about paid media. So you need to understand the evolution of a market cycle. And the reason that we work with our partners primarily based on sort of a long-term basis is because we want them to think about this as a long-term investment and a long-term strategy, not as a campaign. I think a lot of marketers think about an NFT as they want to do an NFT. And I have an inbox full of emails from brands who are like, I want to do an NFT. I want to do a metaverse activation. And what they really mean is they want to do something relevant. And our belief is that Web3 is going to be here to stay and fundamentally change consumer behavior. And we think that brands need to be very thoughtful around the right way to approach this because the blockchain is forever. It's not a tweet that we can delete in six months if we don't like it anymore. So making sure there's a really thoughtful entry into the Web3 space that also leaves room for opportunity and growth in the future is our big ambition. Yeah. I like that. And I'm trying to figure out what separates one of these companies getting into the NFT, the metaverse, the Web3 space from being perceived as a cash grab versus one who is here to stay. I mean, can we talk through the different ways that maybe a brand might start approaching the NFT game? Some bullets I wrote down were like, and I believe you listed some even on your website. There's limited edition collectibles, there's events, loyalty programs, product drops. I mean, is it starting with one of those and then figuring out how you continue to release stuff like that over time? Or is there another way that you should be thinking about getting into it? Yeah, I think the best way to do it is your first moves should be nothing commercialized. It should be purely about supporting the space. Maybe it's mm -hmm. buying an NFT, maybe it's hosting an event, maybe it's collaborating with a creator. The first step should not be commercialized at all. If you've looked into our programs, you've seen that the majority of the stuff that we've done is actually for brands is mostly like free mints or really like utility heavy type of things. And that's very intentional because we don't want to put our partners in a position of, you know, monetizing something that they shouldn't monetize. And I'm a huge believer in free mints and open editions for brands as a way to create another touch point with their customers and start to build their Web3 community. And if they want to do something that's very Web3 native, 
becoming part of the community themselves first is critical to establishing that credible connection to the space. I'll give you an example of a program which I think is just so squarely like not a cash grab. So for example, if you do a free NFT, like Pepsi dropped a free NFT and they also have zero royalties. So that's something that like, there's no way it could be a cash grab because they don't make any money on it. And then they started to one, physically produce the microphones and, you know, embed them in their content and embed them with their music performances Two, give them out to certain Pepsi partners, like Snoop Dogg got one and tweeted it. And then three, bring it to life at different things like activations that can enable access for holders. That's a good example of something that is really tied to what the brand is and isn't commercialized at all. And I think what we'll continue to see, particularly in this sort of season of NFTs, is NFTs that are fairly decommercialized so that that sort of stigma doesn't cloud the program. Yeah, good point. One of the reasons I'm asking all these questions about brands specifically and for people listening is like, you don't have to be a brand to get value from this. Just hearing that right now as a maybe a collector and investor, I'm knowing what to look for in the market for the people who are really the ones to participate and engage with versus the others. Looking for that royalty fee, looking for the free mints. That's um, really good insight right there. I keep switching back here between content creators and brands, but like now going back to the content And when I say content creator, I'm really also thinking like IP owners, but as most people aren't good at monetizing their IP. And I think creators are only going to become a bigger job category. I even find myself in a creator role now, which was never thought that was going to happen. And how should people be thinking about IP monetization in a sustainable way with NFTs? Does it follow that same playbook that we just briefly talk through with the brands or is it a little bit different? For content creators, I think content creators have more of a need to monetize than brands do. I haven't seen content creators do free NFTs because they have a clear like revenue ambition because that is their brand. You know, they're not trying to sell snacks or sell clothes. They're trying to make money from their content. So I think for them, the approach should be a little bit different. And while there's no blueprint necessarily, I always think starting small, starting with that 1000 true fans is the right model. And also not getting ahead of yourself when it comes to mint sizes. I think when I look at some of the challenges that I've seen some of my friends and content creators I really adore struggle with is they want to drop a 10,000 piece collection, but that's pretty hard to move, especially in this market. And if you don't mint it out, then it's so hard to continue getting the project going. So I think it's always better to start with something small, start building with that community and get those people who are really interested in who you are and what you're building. And don't put so much pressure on yourself around a really high mint price or around trying to sell a ton of pieces, because that's when you get into these tough situations, which I think, unfortunately, those situations also scare off a lot of talented creators from coming into the NFT space because they don't want to do something that's labeled as not successful. The same way that startups, you don't angel invest in startups thinking every single one of them is going to work. You know, some of them are going to work and some of them aren't. The same is true of NFT programs, but people have like very high expectations around a quick flip. So for content creators, they need to be very mindful of that and really appeal to their own audience without trying to set unrealistic expectations for themselves. Yeah, makes sense. Is there an element of that launch strategy that you think is overlooked like time and time again? It's the authentic connection to the community. I have seen so many creators launch programs when they themselves don't have any NFTs. They're themselves not part of any communities. And they think just because they're a celebrity or just because they're known on you know, Instagram, they're going to be able to sell out. I mean, we saw one of the most famous rappers in the entire world drop a collection last week who sold a couple hundred pieces and he has 
over 100 million followers. It's pretty damn hard to do an NFT drop if you are not authentically part of the Web3 community. And I think people constantly underestimate that, whether they're brands or they're content creators or they're celebrities, they don't realize how critically important it is to be part of this community before you try to sell anything. For sure. And finding those ways to be authentic is, I want to say a challenging one, but at the same time, if you're doing it right, it shouldn't be challenging. But we do see a lot of people make a splash by buying maybe one NFT or posting a tweet about it. And then all of a sudden, it's almost a meme at this point. You know, some celebrity tweets about NFTs and two weeks later has their own drop. And so finding ways to be authentic is super important. And it's personally why I ended up buying a lot of NFTs. I felt like I needed skin in the game before I could start talking about it and writing about it. And it also helped me learn at the same time. So when you're advising anyone on projects, is there a certain blockchain that maybe you try to prioritize over others? I feel like we're seeing a lot of Polygon support these days, whereas ETH was dominating everything with NFTs just because it's looked at as better or more um, premium. I think ETH is like gold standard. And if you have like very clear revenue ambitions, I think Ethereum is the place where there's a lot of proven success. At Vayner NFT, we are intentionally blockchain agnostic. We're intentionally tech partner agnostic. It's the reason you'll see us use Unstoppable Domains and you'll see us use ENS. You'll see us use Solana for one thing and do something on Flow the next time. Do something on Ethereum, do something on XDAI. And we like to try working across a spectrum of different partners, because that's how we can identify the best partners for our clients and yeah. know what's happening across the whole ecosystem. couple ones that are interesting to me right now, obviously Ethereum always has a very special place in my heart. Polygon has been getting a lot of traction with major brands because of the reduced environmental impact. I am excited about what Flow continues to build from just an ease of use standpoint. And I'm a big POAP fan, so I like what they're building on Polygon. And I'll also give a shout out to Immutable X. They uh, just announced their Power and GameStop's NFT marketplace. They did the book games program for Gary, and I'm very impressed with what they've built. Yeah, I think they're also doing the other side game as well. So a lot of great mass user kind of flows for Immutable X for sure. All right, Avery, I'd like to pivot a little bit and talk about an example, like do a little bit of ideation live on the spot for a couple minutes on if you were a small business on how you would think through implementing NFTs. And we've talked through a lot of this on the pod, but maybe kind of hearing that roadmap laid out for you or some strategy advice would be super cool and helpful. And so the use case I'm throwing out is, let's say you want to start a winery and which is a physical business. Maybe you need to raise some funds and you know you want to incorporate NFTs somehow. And the reason I picked Winery is because I think that they have some interesting use cases for NFTs because wineries have wine clubs, which is like you're kind of your thousand true fans. So if you were to try to start this kind of small business up, where would you start in your head with NFTs? Would it be used to raise funds and then those holders would get perks down the road or would it be something else? If I were looking to launch a winery, I would think about the NFT in maybe three different tiers. The first tier would be some kind of an all access opportunity for people who are genuinely interested in the winery that I'm building. I might do that as an open edition and say, great, these people get employee only pricing forever. They get special days and tours. They get special tasting and find that as like almost like your fan club or wine club. 
Second thing I would do is a little bit more advanced is a wine subscription. So it's like, hey, great, you're going to get this NFT, which enables you to six subscriptions of wine per year. You can hold it. You can trade it, whatever. Use that as a subscription model. Then I would do my top tier as actually tapping into some kind of an allocation. So the way that a lot of fine wineries work is there's an allocation list, which will be determined like years in advance. And I think there's an opportunity to modernize that for wineries at the very sort of upper end of pricing, people who are buying, you know, cases at a time, barrels at a time, even I'd use that as my sort of smallest and most loyal group. Maybe some of those folks are restaurateurs or things like that. So I'd stack it up in that order as an open edition loyalty club, a subscription box for physical product, and then a top tier allocation. Yeah. Does that mean you come out with, instead of one NFT, you almost have three tiers of NFTs that people can choose to mint in different quantities? Is that what I'm hearing there? Yeah, I would do three tiers. I might cap the top two ones to like a smaller number. Maybe it's like, hey, 10 allocation spots and a hundred subscriptions or a thousand, and then make that loyalty one as broad as possible. As many people as possible want to mint it. Yeah. And now what if people say, you know, a winery is a physical business, they're located somewhere, it's always been something you experience in person, these NFTs are digital, they're not the metaverse. Is there a downside that this business is physical and and isn't like a digital one? Or do you think that's an upside, actually? Well, I think that because of the three tiers of the program, you're getting utility to every part of them. If you're in the loyalty one, you maybe you get like access and early pricing and things like that. So you have that sort of immediate perk. The second perk is you're actually getting like physical wine. Third perk is you are too, and you're jumping the line to actually get first access to things. So I think that in this case, NFTs are just the technology that is improving the customer experience across three things that already exist today, a wine club, a subscription box, and an allocation. Yeah. Awesome. That was super interesting to hear you break down. I like those ideas a lot. Well, Let's pivot and talk about our web one, two, three. And this is three questions that I ask all the guests on the pod. And so in a little bit more like rapid fire session. So my first question for you is who's an influential web three creator, entrepreneur, collector that's really educated or inspired you? Collector or creator who's really inspired me. I'm going to talk about Betty from Deadfellas. She's a creator who's really inspired me in terms of what she's built over the past year plus in the NFT space. I'm a huge Deadfellas fan. The lore, the thoughtfulness of so many of her executions um, has really stood out to me. And hearing Betty speak at a couple of conferences, including Beacon, really cemented in my mind that she's such a visionary and such a leader. And I'm just incredibly in awe of what she's continues to build. Yeah. Good answer. I, I think that's actually the second time we've had Betty shouted out on the pod. So love it. Definitely doing something right. And second question is, what's your favorite NFT that you own? One of my favorite NFTs. I have a world of women who kind of looks like me. I got into World of Women right after they minted, and I've been a huge fan of what Yam and Raf are building. We've done some really cool collaborations with them, and I, you know, have got one that sort of looks like me, and I use it as an identifier a lot because sometimes people get confused when I put something like a monkey picture up, but they get it if it's like a, you know, a girl with brown hair. Yeah, no, that's awesome one too. I I did have one and I have sold it, but I still have one of the pieces of art that I got for being a holder. So I like that a lot. And then my third question is in five years, what's the craziest thing you think we'll be doing in the metaverse that people just aren't thinking about yet? I think people aren't thinking about commerce in the metaverse yet. And I think in 
you know, the next several years, maybe not the next like one or two, but the next five or seven or nine is there'll be a lot of commerce in the metaverse. We see this right now in places like Fortnite and Roblox, but I think it will be coming to a broader swath of the metaverse. And I do think that people will buy things like, you know, sodas and handbags and earrings in the metaverse. And I think that that world of commerce is going to be very significant. Mm. And maybe they'll even be buying wine in the metaverse too. If, if we be. get this winery kickstarted, right? Definitely commerce. I mean, I've even seen some things recently. TikTok's the new social media app. I mean, it's not even new, but it's the one right now I feel like. And I saw things at how in China, the China TikTok is actually really focused on live streams where you sell products, kind of creators direct to people. And that could be coming to the US down the road. And if after it hits the web two socials, yeah, commerce then bleeds into the web three world. So good insight there. And can you let us know where people can find you, connect with you and see what you're doing online? Absolutely. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Avery underscore Akinini. I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn under my same name. LinkedIn, I talk a lot about business stuff. Twitter is just sort of NFT stuff. And Instagram's a little bit of personal stuff and a little bit of NFT stuff. And then I can officially share with you that Vayner NFT has rebranded to Vayner3. And you can follow Vayner3 at our website, Vayner3.com. You can check us out at Vayner3 on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, and all the other awesome places where you consume content. Heck yeah. Well, I'm stoked to watch that rebrand really from a, a learning perspective to see how you navigate it, what Vayner 3 is really going to be about, the value prop, the services and all that stuff. So always rooting for you. Thank you so much for coming on the Unstoppable Podcast today. It was a really interesting episode, both from if you're a business owner or a creator looking to get into NFTs, if you're a collector or investor trying to figure out who to really associate and engage with. I think there's a lot of value there. And we even gave value to people who are just like a small business looking to dive on in. So tons of good content. So Avery, thanks so much. And I'll see you in the metaverse. Take care. Thanks, Josh. Peace out. hope you've enjoyed this episode of the unstoppable podcast if something we said today resonated with you please leave us a review subscribe and share this with your friends and remember this conversation doesn't have to end here tweet us your questions thoughts and ideas to unstoppable web i look forward to hearing from you and thank you so much for listening